almost like people got a collective memo at the same time that was like, we're, we're taking a pause on the way we used to do things. Um, and it's not to say that there was one particular way to move forward, but what we want to do is start asking a deeper question of, is this meaningful to me? Um, who am I today? Right. And we had a lot of time to think about that while we were home for, you know, two years plus. Um, who am I today? Who do I want to be? Right. And, and should I be telling the story to my kids, my grandkids, or any future person that would come across my life story? Today is another Learning Out Loud episode with Danielle Marshall on episode 82 of Mission Impact. I believe we're having an existential moment as a culture. Having been confronted with our mortality and the fragility of life during the pandemic and the ongoing climate crisis, we are examining many things. We started asking deeper questions about what's truly important, both in our personal lives and our careers. The dialogue that has emerged isn't just about work. It's about redefining success. We're realizing that success isn't solely about productivity or adhering to those traditional norms. It's about living in alignment with our values. One powerful idea that emerged from our conversation is that growth doesn't always mean scaling up, and it can also mean deepening our impact by focusing on what we do best and not trying to be everything to everyone. Going deeper is a strategy that resonates with me. I'm looking to do that in a couple of different arenas in my life. And this episode, continuing the conversation with Danielle, is part of that. Danielle and I have a wide-ranging conversation during which we talk about burnout in the nonprofit sector, how organizations are thinking about resource allocation, deepening and partnering, the power of the most important task, as well as approaches for individual and group reflection joy, and more. Mission Impact is a podcast for nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategy consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build an organizational culture where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as board, staff, and volunteers. And all of this is for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector brings you whole brain strategy consulting for nonprofits and associations. We help you move your mission forward, engage all voices, and have fun while we're doing it. We combine left brain strategy and analysis with right brain wisdom about human complexities for a proven whole brain, whole organization process through which every stakeholder thrives. Reach out to us for support and facilitation of strategic planning, mapping your impact, auditing your services, and getting an organizational assessment. We especially love working with staffed nonprofits and associations with human-centered missions. Welcome, Danielle. Welcome to Mission Impact. Thanks, Carol. Good to be back. Yeah, so this is the second of, and I'm 
I'm borrowing this language from you, Danielle, the learning out loud uh, episode. Um, Danielle came on on episode 75 to start just a series of conversations that we're going to have checking in every couple months or so on what we're seeing in terms of um, the nonprofit sector and our clients that we're working with and kind of having a chance to kind of go a level deeper than, than I typically do when I'm, when I'm uh, doing a one one-time interview. So really excited for the conversation. Yeah, same, likewise. So one of the things that we I've been talking about a lot with folks is just the prevalence of burnout in the sector. And, and also probably, I feel like burnout predated the pandemic and then was exacerbated by the, by the pandemic, like many things. But the thing that I see is different is um, the way in which people are really kind of rethinking and renegotiating their relationship with work. And I'm just curious what what kind of you're seeing in, in the work that you're doing around that. Sure. Um, I think I'm having a, a similar experience in terms of the folks that I come into contact with. Uh, and again, I would agree with you that it predated, let's say, COVID. However, I think the period where people were able to be home, uh, many people were either furloughed or laid off, it caused a global, quite frankly, opportunity for us to sit back and just reflect on what was important. And I, I think we would be remiss to not bring into the conversation all of what was happening. You know, so again, there were there was loss of life. Um, there were people who found themselves who used to be doing quite well financially in you know dire straits at the moment. There's a lot of sickness going on. And I think it was a moment even beyond just thinking about work, like what are my priorities? How do I want to live my life? And so I've definitely seen some carryover of that uh, thought process, thankfully, quite frankly, into our work today. Yeah, the just a, a chance well, being confronted across many fronts with, you know, the fact that we are finite be beings, we, we don't go on forever. And so what does that mean? What is, you know, how, how am I living my life right now? Is that in, in align with, with my values? And maybe just, I hate to say that it was a slowing down, because I think in many ways, it wasn't. But there was a different way of time space maybe to to kind of for people to be with their thoughts think about what's important and um certainly for me you know i it was also predated the pandemic um starting to to kind of try to rethink that with um you know moving into my well, if you turn 50, are you moving into your sixth decade? I guess so. <laughs> I never quite get that one right. Um, but, you know, hitting that half, well, probably more than more than halfway mark and thinking, okay, what do I want to do with the rest of my time, whatever that time might be, and is how I'm spending my time um, the way that I want to be doing it going forward. And part of that has just been for me trying to unpack um how much I had internalized the Protestant work ethic and my worth being tied up in my productivity, my, you know, the outcomes that I produce, all of that, and really trying to untangle all of that. Yeah, um, I, I have a deep appreciation for that last piece that you mentioned in particular, because I think what uh, I saw many people, including myself, uh, going through during this period was a redefining of success. Mm. Right. So we've all been told on some level what success means. Much of it has been tied to Protestant work ethic. 
Uh, but even what it means to be successful in one's career, what it means to be successful in one's family life, like are you married, do you have children, right? These are things that were set up as norms uh, that people were expected to adhere to. And I think what I witnessed, um, and particularly as I add a, a racial lens to this as well, is it's almost like people got a collective memo at the same time that was like, we're, we're taking a pause on the way we used to do things. Um, and it's not to say that there was one particular way to move forward, but what we want to do is start asking a deeper question of, is this meaningful to me? Um, who am I today? Right? And we had a lot of time to think about that while we were home for you know two years plus. Um, who am I today? Who do I want to be? Right? And, and should I be telling this story to my kids, my grandkids, or any future person that would come across my life story? You know, did I lean into the values and ideals that I and so that feels really important to the conversation in terms of success, because what a lot of folks realize is I don't actually subscribe to the success that is norm, right? It's just the narrative we've been told. And I think, you know, a lot of people are in the nonprofit sector because in some ways they're already stepping away from those kind of typical um, measures of success of, you know, very few people go into the nonprofit sector to make a lot of money. If you want to do that, you're going to go into something where you do make a lot of money. And at the same time, um, we're still measured. We're still in a capitalist society. We're still measured by a lot of those things. Like how big is the, your budget as an organization? Um, you know, all of those different things factor into what people see as successful or non-successful at the organizational level. So we still have those pressures, even when as individuals, we may have at one point made an affirmative decision to say, that's not my life goal. Um, and then of course, there's the flip side of with having made that decision, the extent to which that can be really kind of weaponized against people. Hundred um, percent. You know, I think it speaks volumes to this idea of what it takes to disrupt systems, right? So I may have changed my mind, or the next person may have changed their mind about what they want to fit in, how they're defining success. But it does not mean that my team members, or the organization, or the greater you know world or sector is following along with that. And I think what I've seen that's been particularly interesting is all the conversations that are happening with multiple stakeholder groups around redefining that. You know, I think the the first group I consciously remember, and some of this started even pre-COVID, was with the foundations and the funders, you know, where people were saying, we, we believe in metrics, we think they're important, but there's more than just how many people were served, how many trees were planted that we need to actually think about in the grand scheme of things. Um, and as I think about the metrics today, it's really interesting to hear how many companies are now talking about satisfaction rates among employees and engagement and retention because they're understanding it isn't simply about coming to the job and making the widget, right? There's something more about building a cohesive team that still works to uphold nonprofit missions, but we're part of that process. We're part of the mission because we have to be in a healthy space in order for us to leverage the best of our team. Yeah, I think that recognition of it's not just about the outside mission. It's not just about how many people we served, but you know how are we working with each other inside the organization, and is that also in alignment with the values that we espouse? Yeah, and that feels like oftentimes it's in misalignment, quite frankly. Even to today, you know, I'm I'm seeing many more people care for the conversation overall, but it doesn't mean that it seems to be working for everyone. 
right? They're aware that they need to have this conversation. But we've not been in a place, quite frankly, as a society where we have cared for our people in that way. Most of the time, you know, we came from an industrial place where it was like, hey, I need you on the factory line making X amount of product, et cetera, in this many hours. And I think some of that mindset has very much carried over to even how we do our work in nonprofits. We're serving this many people because, um, you know, and I one of the things that's hard for me sometimes when I think about nonprofits is I understand that our ability to scale who we serve, right, has a lot to do with the greater impact that we have. But if we're not providing quality for our staff, that translates into not providing the best quality for the communities that we say that we care about in this moment. Oh, yeah, there's definite definite ripple effect. And, you know, you're not setting up your staff for success in, in being able to deliver those programs if they're, you know, constantly being expected to just burn themselves out. And and I was just as we before we got on the call, I was thinking about this in terms of I feel like a lot of folks and, and certainly there is an extent to which it this is outside of folks control. But in a lot of the conversations I, I hear, I feel like people put that more of it is outside of their control than actually is that with the pressure to, you know, always be doing more, always be growing, um, that that that's a have to versus we're choosing how we're going to expand or not expand. And even looking at okay, if we were to just, wonderful to have a growth strategy and plan and for how we're going to increase our resources, but if we were actually just to think about what our current resources are right now, what can we reasonably do with those? And, and what could we do differently? Right? Mm. So I, I know the last time that we met, we talked a little bit about language. Uh, and so even as I hear you say, you know, growing and growth, what does that mean for us, right? So if we have a budget and it doesn't matter if your budget is 500,000, a million, 20 million, what could we be doing differently with the resources that we have available today? Uh, because I think some of the challenges that we're experiencing are not just related to sort of this shift in culture that we're seeing, but it's also related to the fact that we want to continue to do business as we've always done business. And so if I'm only thinking about my resources in the way that, you know, we've created a, a budget for this million dollars, here's how we've always spent it, this is how much gets allocated to the community, this is how much is for overhead, it doesn't leave a lot of flexibility for us to rethink what we might do if we move some of those things around. Um, and I think that is part of, um, it's an opportunity, I guess I would say, for us to both be thoughtful about the communities, again, that is our mission, right, to serve the communities but also to think about how we're allocating those resources to serve our staff in the process. What are some ways that you've seen people start to rethink that versus always it? Cause I, I do feel like oftentimes the answer to what could be better is more, more staff, more volunteers. Um, yeah. So instead, you know, if we flip it to thinking differently about what you do have. I, you know, I, I'm thinking about it as, Growing impact does not need, mean always scaling, mm. right? So what would it mean to deepen the work that we did within the organization? So instead of, you know, an example that came up not too long ago for me um, was a nonprofit who was basically saying they knew what the community needed, 
right? And they were providing these resources only to really kind of over this COVID period realize, hey, there are probably some things we might be able to do differently. So taking the same exact budget that they had prior to the pandemic, it's like we're going to go back to the community, the stakeholders themselves, and, and ask them what that we are providing today is of value to you, right? And what are the things that we may have been missing completely or what are the things that need to be tweaked? And so I still have the same amount of resources, but I am amplifying our ability to have this impact in this moment because I'm being more thoughtful and intentional about how we apply those resources. And so I think that's an example of where growth to me doesn't necessarily mean growing to reach more people, though there is the possibility because they've made these shifts, they may actually impact more people's lives because they're providing the right tools, right? So instead of saying we can't do this, or it's not going to work for our organization, what are the possibilities that exist? Yeah, and I appreciate that of like, not only redefining, redefining success, but also redefining growth. That growth could be, you know, not necessarily increasing numbers always, but um, going deeper uh, and, and working differently. Um, yeah. So there's an evolution in that growth versus just a linear kind of metric moving moving the needle upward, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, I just yeah. had a conversation with a colleague this morning um, and we were working on a presentation that we're doing together. And she just said at one point, and I, I really appreciated this. She goes, you know, I, I know we have limited time, but my preference is to go narrow and deeper as opposed to wider, but shallow. Um, and that just resonated so much with me because I think sometimes with you know what we consider limited resources or limited time, et cetera, we're like, well, how much can we squeeze in mm. to maximize this? As opposed to pausing and saying with the resource, whether it's again, time, human, financial, what do we want to do that's really going to deepen our impact in this moment? Yeah, and I think narrowing can be just the hardest thing for organizations to do. Um, and, you know, not just organizations, I've, I've found that in my own practice, like, you know, making choices about who I'm going to be working with and what kind of services am I going to work on. All of those things take time to kind of hone in on and figure out what, what is going to make more impact. But I do really appreciate the idea of being able to focus in and go deeper versus always trying to, you know, be all things to all people. Um, and, and I think organizations my uh, experience is that they struggle with that out of just out of a, a sense of wanting to be helpful. But then um, it, as you're saying, if you take that minute to think, because the resources are always limited, no matter how abundant your resources, they are limited. So with that, what, what do you want to do? What do we do? Yeah. It, it's so interesting too, because so many nonprofits and I've worked for many over the years, one of the first conversations that always comes up is we're talking about mission drift, right? How do we make sure we stay on target? We serve the clients we're expected to serve, that we're, you know, getting to the outcomes that we, we've outlined. Uh, and I think my experience has been where I've seen a lot more success is where people niche down and they say, you know, here are, even if it's three things, here are the three things we do. And if it is outside of those things that we do and we know that we do well, We'll recommend another partner. There's another agency that can support you. But when you know what it is you're supposed to be focusing on, that means all of your resources and time and energy really go to deepening that impact. 
getting better at it, increasing your your competency around that. Absolutely. And then I think there's a there's a confidence in be, being focused and centered in on that and having the confidence that you can pass things along, that people will be taken care of. It's not your entire job to do it all. And, and that you would be aware of what else is going on around you so that you, you know, part of that might be, okay, we're going to stop doing this thing that we've done every once in a while when it's popped up in our request box. We're going to hand it over to this other group, but we have to spend some time actually, you know, building that relationship so that that handoff goes well uh, versus it feeling, you know, just like, well, ping, 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 you're off to, you know, referred to yet another organization. Yeah. I, I also think that ties right back into where we started with burnout, right? Mm. When we can niche, niche down and be very clear about what we're doing, we're not spreading our staff as thin. I mean, it, there's still going to be ample work to go around in the organization, but it feels very different to say, I work on this one major project or initiative or these two things in the organization, as opposed to, you know, where do you spend your time? I'm like, oh, I do, I do 30 things, right? And that's on a good day. That feels much more intentional. And, you know, if you think about your own life, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but like when I am able to really focus on one thing and do it well, I'm not in the process of trying to multitask and move between these activities. I am focused. The quality of work that I'm able to produce is much higher than what happens when I'm like, oh, I have to take this call and I have to work on this report and I have to do all of these things. And coming from the nonprofit sector, I think that feels like a, a big part of life. And so when you think about burnout, well, of course, people are burning out. They're exhausted. Right. And then and then we're not caring for them when they go home to give them the space and the time they need to recharge themselves to come back in the office. And so it, it just feels like we we could be certainly much more intentional than we have been today. Yeah, I feel like it's almost a badge of honor, like well, I wear so many different hats and I have to do so many different things. And um, yeah, I mean, I've just kind of given up the notion of, of multitasking, but it's also taken me a long time to to. And I'm probably still definitely a work in yeah. progress in terms of have I right sized my to do list for today of what's actually possible to get done? <laughs> yeah. I oh my gosh, I feel that so much. Um, I have started to practice uh, MITs. So they call it MITs because it's your most important task. Um, mm. And the idea behind uh, an MIT is it is that it is something that is really important. So if you set your goals, let's say for the month, for the week, whatever, um, you're picking the one task that if you advance that, it's gonna make everything easier for you, okay? And so it's really significant to your, your overall goals. But the, the goal then furthermore would be to get it done before 10 a.m. And this has been a game changer for me because after 10 a.m., it's like all bets are off. Anything could happen. You know, you have a client, you have a funder, you have someone who is stepping in, they're like, oh, I need you to fix this problem. And if you have not focused on the thing strategically that was going to advance your goals or the organizational goals in that moment, it may get lost, right? So now we're looking at five o'clock and you're like, oh, I ran in, you know, I ran out of time today. I had meetings. I had all these things come up and we're constantly behind. So what does that lead people to do? They go home from work. Maybe they have dinner. If they're lucky with their families, kiss their kids goodnight. And it's like, boom, off to the races. I'm back on email. When does that give you time to actually settle? to have some joy in your life. And so like when I think about this, I'm like, that's partially, at least in my world, what I'm seeing from people is they're like, I just can't work around the clock anymore. I don't, I don't want to do this. 
don't want to. And, and you know, of course, studies have also shown that um, when you're working like that, you're you're much less efficient. You're not bringing your best brain power. You're, you know, you're just too tired. You can't think well about any of those things. So with that MIT most important thing, um, what are some of the questions that you ask yourself to try to, to help you prioritize? What is going to be that most important thing for the day? You know, I'm I'm a big goal person, right? So I will set my goals for the year and then I set quarterly goals and then I'm thinking about monthly. But even as I'm doing that, what helps me get to um, my monthly sort of, or we I should say weekly, right? We, we take the big picture and then we whittle it down is what is it based on my quarterly plan that feels important for this month? And maybe I'll just choose one big topic that I'm working on. So it might be my own professional development. It could be, uh, you know, if, if, if we're talking about nonprofits, it could be a fundraising objective, it, whatever it happens to be. I'm thinking about that. What are all of the steps that I need to take in order to make this big goal that I have for the month come to life, right? And so if I were to think about that now in terms of the weeks and the months, what could I break this down to say weekly is the theme? And then under that, if I only have five days, because we don't work on weekends, if I only have five days, what are the things, the five big things that I'm going to do before 10 a.m.? So it is about, I don't know that I have a particular question, but it's just generally thinking what is going to help me get to this thing. And the example I might use with some of my clients is if you, for instance, let's say you want to buy a house, right? And so everyone's thinking about this house. And the big thing that comes to mind for people is like, oh, I got to save all this money. Okay, great. You do need a down payment for a house, but there are so many other steps that one might take before you even get to the purchase of it. Do you know, have you researched what neighborhood you want to live in? If you have kids, do you think about the school system? What is your savings plan? Have you run a credit report, right? Like there are all of these steps and they don't need to be done on the same day. So to break them out over time allows you to scale. And even if you spend an hour a day on this one task, at the end of the week, you've done five hours. At the end of the month, you've done 20 hours. You are far more like ahead of schedule in terms of working through your objectives than you were when you were just leaving it to the end of the day, hoping there would be time for you to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, having that bigger, bigger thing in mind and then breaking it down into the smallest steps. Um, I'm starting a new project and my favorite way of doing this at first is to do a mind map. So, yeah. you know, the circle in the middle and then all the, Love you know, those. whatever comes to mind. Cause, because I, I feel like my, if I write a list, it should be organized and this way. I have no uh, obligation to be organized in any way. Things can, one thing can spark another. And then I take that mess and I put it in, okay, well, what would be some of the first steps to get me going? Yeah. And, um, you know, I love that idea of like, take an hour during the day before you know things are going to start pulling you away from your plan for the day and get that thing done. And and for people who are visual, because I use a mind map too, it's like a, a favorite tool now, you could actually post it like near your desk right? So I go a step further with my mind map and I actually apply numbers to it. So what's the first thing I think I should do? What's the second thing? And even within the spokes that come off of a mind map, there still may be multiple steps, right? But if I'm thinking about it in terms of a process, what feels like I must do it first in order to enable me to do these next couple of things? And so it can be visual, it can be a list, but the thing is, do you have a system to be intentional? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, one of the things that I started doing in graduate school and then after graduate school, very I was a very reluctant um, uh, in graduate school where they're always like, okay, so we did the thing, you've written the paper, now write the reflection. I was like, oh my God, do I have to do that? <laughs> But I built myself a tool so that I could I could integrate this. And now I do it on a weekly basis. And so I have that, you know, I have a chance every week to kind of look at all those questions. I've got, then I've got data over time, right, to be able to look at big picture what's going on. Um, but it also the other way is important, too, to go from the big, but really breaking it down into the small pieces and figuring out, you know, what is going to get you just one step further. Um, I wonder to some extent um, how what we're talking about now also relates back to burnout. Uh, because one of the things that I, I, I've had to be intentional in my own world doing is I carve out the time to plan. Right. So I have my quarterly retreats with myself. I'm taking some time to think about what I want my week to look like, my month, et cetera. But when I think about most people at work, they come in on Monday morning and it's like hit the ground running. These 10 problems came up over the weekend. We need you to address them. Where is the intentional carved out space for quiet thinking and reflection? Right. So if you want me to be strategic in my approach, I need some time to, to think strategy. Yeah, certainly it's been a lot easier in the same way for me once I'm a, a little bit more, not completely in control of my schedule, but a little bit more to be able to set some boundaries, take that Friday afternoon to do those kinds of things. Um, but even inside organizations, I think um, I was always the person who was like, there are emergencies and then there are the emergencies that we create for ourselves and we can build systems to deal with the second type so that we don't have to do this uh, over and over again. Early in my career, I worked for a, a, a company that put a magazine out every two weeks and we acted like it was an emergency every two weeks. I was like, we do this every two weeks. Yeah. We can figure out how to do it without it being a crisis. So trying to differentiate between those two. And I think sometimes there's a almost like a a valorization of that chaoticness that we must be more important if we're this busy and this, you know, we're spinning like this. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. no, it's just disorganized. <laughs> that's a mindset shift again around what it means to be successful. Right. right? Like I, I am not measuring my success on the, the amount of angst I feel like that is not the measure that I want to bring forth. Um, and I, I think it takes time, but I think the leadership team, additionally really needs to be involved in this. Like I have one client right now and they do something that when I first met them, I was like, wow, like that, it's so simple in nature. And yet I was like, I don't hear of many groups doing this. On Fridays, they meet as a team. The entire team comes to these meetings and they just talk. They talk about an article, a podcast, a thought that they've been having, a client issue that they've been dealing with. And they just, there's no agenda. It's just anybody brings whatever they want to the table and they have a discussion. But what I experienced, because I sat in an, on a number of those calls, is the level of thoughtfulness uh, and opportunity to play with what we considered sort of half-baked ideas. Like you don't have to have a fully fleshed out thought around this. It's just, I was wondering, or I was thinking, here's my initial thought. What do you think about this, right? So in that space, 
and it was only an hour. It was working time with the group to challenge assumptions, to think differently, to bring new perspectives in. And they were able to then take those learnings and apply them to their everyday jobs. And I'm like, it was an hour. And how innovative but transformative it was for the organization. It was an hour, but it was a weekly practice too. Yes, exactly. And an investment, an investment yes. on, you know, it. we're going to, and probably I would guess that there was a real commitment for everyone to show up to it too, Absolutely. for it to work. And, and so have the I impact think that they want. Yeah, the, the word practice, I think, is important because, again, very similar to the MITs, right? Like if I do this four times a month, that's four hours of dedicated staff time that we have to really thinking beyond our current vision, if you will. Right. What could be? What are the possibilities? What are we missing? And I think what I also appreciated about that is there was no question that wasn't appropriate to, answer, to ask in that space. Right. We could mm. go where our, our minds and our imaginations took us. So it could be thinking about a particular project or just maybe a worldwide issue. Here's something that we are dealing with, but it's having ramifications in our field and, you know, in our work day to day. How do we tackle this? What is our position on this? And so when we're asking those big questions and bringing curiosity to the forefront, I think it sparks more curiosity in our, our everyday work. It was safe to do that. And so therefore, I'm going to continue that practice. Right. It's it's modeling, um, being able to talk in a first draft and, you know, ask those different questions um, and not just wait until they're doing strategic planning to think about the bigger issues that are going on around them. You know, once every three to five years, we're going to do an environmental scan. No, it's every week we're bringing something in um, to, to ponder. Yeah. And, and what really, I think, excited me about that opportunity is everyone on the team participated in it, mm. including the CEO. And that's a big deal to have literally your leadership also commit to say, you know what, I'm not too busy that I can't be in a thinking space with you all. Well, and to model thinking out loud. You got it. Right? That's it. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's some organizations that are are literally dealing with emergencies and I think there's a mindset that many more organizations believe they are than they are. Yeah. And so kind of differentiating the two and I'm trying to think of what would be some other ways that organizations could um, carve out some more time. I think another one comes to mind is, you know, having a certain day where you don't have meetings yeah. and it's okay to say, you know, no to client meetings or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. just having some space so that people have time to do some deeper work. I, I do that for myself. And I will say this, I am not always successful, but Wednesdays exactly. have been labeled my thinking day and it's on my calendar as thinking day. And so when I introduce this to people, they're like, well, what do you think about for eight hours? <laughs> the, the, the thing is, I can think about whatever I want. You know, if there is something that is happening in my industry, I can think about that. I might use the time to write because writing is also reflective for me. Um, there's a lot that can be uh, occurring. Or I might actually reach out to a colleague during my thinking day because I'm just the same as we're doing right now as we're learning out loud and we're having this conversation. I'm like, oh, what nuggets can I pull from this that I might be able to apply? And so I, I don't know that we always need to think about this in terms of huge resources or all hands. Like some of these things might be a team is focusing on it. And some of it might just be allowing people to have space as an individual to reflect. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that you had um, brought up around, you know, the flip side of burnout, or maybe it's one way to, to one, one way we've been talking about it is building in some practices, uh, having some, you know, shared agreement that Friday is going to be no meetings or Wednesday is going to be no meetings and people have time to think, or, you know, we're going to spend an hour as a team um, talking about something beyond, you know, the, the, to do, you know, the to-do list and, um, but also bringing joy back into the work. Um, for me, it's always reconnecting to why do I do this helps me. Um, but there are lots of other ways. Um, I think it's, it's joy in the, in the work, but I think when we initially even started talking about joy, I wasn't even thinking about it connected to the workplace. Mm. And I think part of this is in this redefining of success and reevaluating who we want to be. It's also in a a reevaluation of how I want to spend my time, right? Both inside of work and outside. So during the pandemic, a lot of people found new hobbies. Like I remember how the news every day talked about you couldn't find baking supplies anywhere, right? There's (laughs) no heat to be found. Um, And we sort of laughed at it, but there was a reason. Like people found something that they could literally make with their hands. Right? I am finding pleasure in cooking for my family or knitting or running, whatever it was that brought them joy. And I think when you are doing more of those things for yourself outside of a workspace, when you return to work, you are refreshed. You are, you know, sort of renewed in this moment. But the other thing is, um, and I don't know if you've had this experience, like when I do, I, I'm a big crafter. So I, I knit a lot. I like the fiber arts. Um, when I spend time doing that, my mind actually has a chance to just kind of go, right? Like, and, and I'm not thinking about anything other than what I'm doing in that moment. And it allows me to come back with clarity, right? Because I wasn't sitting in this place of, I have to fix this problem. I have to solve this for someone else. I literally just had time for me to sit with my own thoughts. Um, and so there's, there's a beauty in that because now when it is time to go back, wow, you're going to get a very different version of Danielle than you would have gotten if I had been on call 24-7, you know, for the entire week. Yeah, definitely. For me, a lot of it is, um, you know, getting up and and taking a walk or, you know, swimming laps where just I'm, I I remember my my mother-in-law once had, she couldn't imagine swimming laughs. It seemed incredibly boring to her. So she was like, what do you think about? And I was like, the whole point is I don't think about anything. That's exactly it. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, uh, in that reexamination, one of the things that I started doing, uh, and again, just for the pleasure of it is um, learning how to draw. And, you know, just it's not for any purpose. I don't want to call myself an artist. I'm not trying to display things or have anything come out of it. It's just for the fun of it. And I get into a state of flow and I'm not, you know, I'm really focused. Um, And so, yeah, the whole notion that people can have hobbies, I think it's kind of having a comeback. (laughs) Years ago, um, I worked at a nonprofit Kaboom. um, And one of the things that they, they, they had boomerisms um, and they said, uh, we don't want to do routine things routinely. And I had a deep appreciation for that then, but it really feels true for me now. So even if we are to take this concept of joy and bring it back into the workspace, what are the things that we're doing that we're so in a routine with? It's just like, ugh, I have to 
you know, I have to fill out my travel paperwork or I have to submit this reimbursement and it feels like it's drudgery or I have to go to this team meeting. Are there ways that we can begin to do things in non-routine ways that allow for joy, that allow for some playfulness? Because that's, that feels like that's missing when everything's mission critical constantly. Mm. That's hard. It's hard. And, and not every, you know, there are certainly organizations that are in the business of saving lives. Many of us are not. It doesn't mean our mission is not important. Right. But if we took a day off or we were somewhat playful in this process, it wouldn't do any damage. Right. If anything, it helps us. It, it brings us alive. And, you know, I, I think about what are the things that we call emergencies that we react to um, almost immediately that did not have to be emergencies if we had taken time, one, to plan for them, and two, to do things in a non-routine way because we're shaking it up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think reevaluating what actually is an emergency is, is a big one. And, and unfortunately, I feel like our culture, um, there's, there's kind of status in being able to create emergencies that is really unhelpful. <laughs> I want no part of that. Um, I, I don't know, just call me boring. I'm like, smooth sailing is uh, where I want to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but again, I to... so, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I love a good routine. I was on a, um, a workshop where they said, who, who are you the patron saint of? And I was like, I think I'm the patron saint of routine. So I'll have to think about though, how, how I can be more playful with my routines. Yeah. I like my favorite thing to tell people when they call me and they're like, what have you been up to? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and that, you, you know, that's not true. We all have things that are on our agenda, but honestly, a life that is drama free, where it's consistent in a lot of ways, like that feels good. And I'm not saying that to shy away from risk or experimentation with things, but I want to be mindful in how we approach that so that we, you know, the intentionality is there. We're going to try some new things out because it helps to spur on creativity and innovation. Uh, but sometimes that routine means that, you know, slow and steady actually allows you to do more. So as we wrap up um, from this conversation, what invitation would you give to nonprofit leaders? Mm. I don't know, as they think about their next uh, next quarter, let's say. Yeah. You know, I think the first thing that I would be asking right now is where are there opportunities for you to embed reflection time in, both as a team and as individuals? Uh, and for those who push back immediately and say, like, there isn't that, why is that? Right there, there's 24 hours in every day. And it's all about, for me, how we choose to use the time that we have allotted. So if we're at work for eight hours out of the day, is it not a valuable use of your time to see where planning, even for an hour or two, just to get started, might yield greater benefits for you? Yeah, and what are, what are the uh, assumptions that are embedded in we can't? Yeah, that's a limiting belief. Yeah, yeah. And for me, I think it would be, um, yeah, how can you bring a little more playfulness into what you're doing? Inside and outside of work. And, and you know, I'm going to go a little bit deeper on that one, too, because I like that. But what does joy mean for your staff? What does it mean mm. for you? 
right? So instead of mandating that we all go bowling this Thursday. Oh, God, no. Because, <laughs> you know, we, we do that, right, as nonprofit leaders. Right. But, like, instead of mandating fun, you know, it's, it's the beatings will continue until morale improves kind of mindset. Um, <laughs> what does it mean for the team to actually say, this is a valuable use of my time? Like, I not only enjoyed it, but I got to know my colleagues better. Like, it just, it felt good to be in that space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot of Band-Aid approaches to that that don't actually achieve the goal at all. So. Absolutely. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you, Dan- Danielle. This was so much fun. Talk about joy. It's a joy to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Danielle, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I'd like to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Cindy Riviera Grazer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting brings you whole brain, strategic planning, mapping, and audits for nonprofits and associations. We combine left brain strategy and analysis with right brain wisdom about human complexities for a proven whole brain, whole organization process through which every stakeholder thrives. Reach out to us for support and facilitation of strategic planning, mapping your impact, auditing your services, and getting an organizational assessment. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a colleague or a friend. We really appreciate you helping us get the word out. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact.